raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. On this edition of Breaking with Brett Jensen, 704-570-1110. That's the telephone number as always. And guys, make sure you follow me on Twitter at Brett underscore Jensen for all the latest in breaking news in and around the Charlotte area. So we got a lot we're going to get into tonight. We got a lot, like a lot, lot. And so we're going to get into a lot of different things, including on Friday, I got a one-on-one interview with... Uh, uh, Mark Walker, excuse me, he was running for governor and now he's running for Congress up in District 6, which is the the Concord area and further northeast in the couple of counties surrounding that place, like going, I think, towards Albemarle and all that. But Mark Walker is now running for Congress instead of governor. So I had a one-on-one interview with him Friday afternoon at a luncheon. Then also coming up later in the show, Got a one-on-one interview today. Uh, was the only media outlet to get an interview with this particular person. With that is the uh, the U.S. Deputy Secretary for the Department of Education. So basically, you've got the head person of the Department of Education for the Biden administration. This person is number two, and she was in town visiting three CMS schools today. That's later on in the show. But also, got some stuff going on with CMS that you are definitely going to want to stick around for. Holy macaroni, you won't believe what happened today. Like, in terms of charges and safety and bus drivers and the superintendent and media. Like, it's a whole thing that happened today. So we're going to get into that. But the first thing I want to do is get into Friday night and just... See there and get into actually what transpired here at the station. Because I talked about it Friday night during my first segment. During the first show, and I played um, the unedited, uncut interview from Mahmoud about why the 200, 250 Palestinians and their supporters, not all were Palestinian, were out there uh, protesting against WBT. And I have it on authority that they're going to be protesting in a couple other places, including potentially the Dallas Cowboys game this weekend outside of Bank of America Stadium. So, so anyways, um, everything was fine. And here's exactly everything that transpired Friday night from inside the building. Because at 6.45 or 6.50 or so, I left outside of watching the things and seeing what was going on and just watching what was going on because the crowd kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger as people kept getting off work, I felt like. But I had to come in and do the show. So about 7.15, I get word that 
from the security and everything on campus or on campus in the building that, hey, Brett, you might be a target of this protest. This was during the commercial break. And I was, it, it didn't make sense to me. And the reason why it didn't make sense to me, and they were pretty insistent. I was like, something's not adding up right. Because I talk about local stuff and I talk about state stuff. I don't talk a lot of national or global stuff unless it's something that I actually have experience in. Like, I can talk about the Ukraine-Russia war. Why? Because I was in Ukraine covering the Ukraine-Russian war. I was in Ukraine a year before Russia invaded. I was in Kiev. So things like that I can talk about. This past summer, you know, I went to Saudi Arabia for a whole week and was invited back by the government to come back this winter and see the entire uh, country for 11 days. And they let me in a mosque and they took me out to dinner and they gave me an English version of the Koran. And this, they gave me this gift bag, and it was just. And I met the celebrity over there that I've told you guys that whole story. I met two celebrities over there, as a matter of fact, and hung out with them, and it was fantastic. And I had the time of my life. I went viral in Saudi Arabia. I had two and a half million views of a video that I did in 48 hours. Two and a half million views on on Twitter, just on Twitter. That doesn't include TikTok and Instagram and Snapchat. That's just Twitter. That was two and a half million views in 48 hours. So I went viral over there. I had a time of my life, and you guys know that. So, so at the same point, that's why I didn't think, it's like, I don't think I'm the target. It just, I, I don't talk about, like I said, all the stuff going on over in Israel, you know, and stuff like that. I, I just, that's, we've got other shows that do that. I focus on the local and the state because that's what I cover. I can give you inside baseball and inside information like no one else can. And that, which, by the way, is exactly what I'm going to be doing later on in the show with some of these interviews and stuff that I got going on. So, so that was at 7.15. They think that I'm like a target, and that was the term being used. Target. Didn't like that word particularly. I was like, all right, well, okay. 7.45 comes around, and they're not sure if I'm the target after all. But they don't want to take any, like any, uh, they want to take still precaution. So they want me to leave my car here and they were going to drive me home Friday night. I'm good. I, I, no, nope. They were insistent just as a, an abundance of caution. So I had to leave my car here Friday night and security people drove me home. And I got home, they went up to my apartment. I got Maggie. I said, I got to take my dog out. So they were outside walking Maggie with me as she was doing her business. And then we went back up to my apartment and they said, do you need any food or drinks? Do you need us to go get you anything? And my exact response was, I've got beer, bourbon, wine, and frozen pizzas. I'm good. I'm good. And I thanked them. And then, you know, I was annoyed not at the protest group. I was actually annoyed that I couldn't drive my car home. And like I said, Friday night, the protest was, it was civil. Like I said, Friday night, you may not agree with what they're protesting about, 
you may think they're all liars. Maybe. But they weren't disobedient. They weren't disruptive. They were protesting the way you're supposed to protest. Not like that crap that we've been seeing in Raleigh, where they're stopping traffic and spray painting the side of Starbucks and doing graffiti and all that stuff. Like, if you're going to protest, the way they did it in Charlotte Friday night is the way you're supposed to do it, period. They're not burning down buildings like you have with other protests. They're not getting violent, raiding stores. They're not, like, whatever. It was just standing on the street corners, doing their chants, waving their flags. There you go. No harm, no foul. Everything was fine. And then Saturday morning, I, um, a neighbor brought me back up here to get my car, which was still annoying that I actually had to come back up here at noon on Saturday and get my car. And like I said, and that was just security being overly cautious and everything else. Just, hey, just uh So I called a couple of uh, sources within CMPD, and they're like, we have never heard your name associated with anything. No, we don't think you were a target. I said, didn't think so. I don't know why I would be. I mean, except I'm the only one at this station who spent a week in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> I mean, you know. And I said, I talk local stuff. I talk national or state stuff. I don't talk national and global generally. Very rarely do I do that. You know, what, once a month maybe? Maybe. I mean, I'm more liable to talk about the Panthers and the Hornets than I am anything globally. So that's everything that happened on my side. Now, I can tell you, I, I did the interview with Buck Mood. And uh, like I said, it was unedited. I played it on air, unedited, on purpose. And so, and when I was out there, they couldn't have been more polite. I felt like I could have talked to Mahmoud, even though he was part of the, he had the bullhorn and he was leading the chants. I felt like I probably could have talked to him for 20 minutes and he probably would have given me all 20 minutes. Even though he was there for other reasons and leading chants, he was willing to talk to me. So, I mean, that was, that was fine with me. And I know Garrison went out there and talked to some people and everything was fine with him. Like, no issues. No issues at all. You know, with respect and everything was fine. So, but it is true that I did find it, you know, a little fascinating that I was trying to count how many people were non-Palestinian. Uh, and I don't know, it was like 10, a dozen, somewhere around in there at one point. This was like halfway through the night, like two hours into it, two and a half hours into it, two hours into it. And it was almost like clockwork. Almost every, almost, you know, from what I was seeing, looking at, almost every white person had their masks on, including a couple of the black people that were there as well. And I could have swore there was like maybe even a Hispanic person there because um, there was a teardrop on the side of his eye, like near the eye, the tattoo, they were all wearing masks. Now, is it because they didn't want people to recognize them? I don't know. That's why I say that. They were wearing masks because it felt like, and then there was even a guy on the bullhorn that was wearing a mask or, or something covering his face so you couldn't see who it was. So, which is fine. Hey, like, whatever. There's no law saying that you have to, like, be recognized. So, but I did, I did think that funny. But... Palestinians, they weren't wearing masks. They wanted you to say, hey, yes, we're here. 
This is what we are. This is who we, well, this is what we're saying. So that's everything that occurred to me on my end Friday night. Um, pretty wild. I gave you the short version, but it was, it was a pretty wild night. That's for sure. All right, so when we come back, we're going to talk about this wildness that happened today with CMS, the superintendent, and the deputy secretary of education. It was wild what happened today. So when we come back, we'll talk about that. I'm Brett Jensen, and you're listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Welcome back to Breaking with Brett Jensen. Going up until 8 o'clock tonight, 704-570-1110. Follow me on Twitter, Damn near like 10,000 other people do at Brett underscore Jensen for all the latest and breaking news in and around the Charlotte area. All right. So today, 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 we get an email that CMS, we got the email yesterday, that CMS is having a joint press conference or a press conference with the Deputy Secretary of the U.S. Department of Education and that she is going to be in town all day going to three different schools and then at the end of the day we'll have a press conference at Matthews Elementary School. It's like okay, it was like a whatever. I mean it was it wasn't that big it wasn't that big of a deal. On a scale of one ten it was about a two of importance. But then a funny thing happened on the way to the press conference today. So earlier, if you guys remember a I can't remember, six weeks ago, two months ago, I broke the story that a bus driver for CMS, like I put it all over Twitter, I put it everywhere. This is why I always tell you guys to follow me on Twitter. That a bus driver went off route with a bus and kids, right? Goes off route, stops the bus, leaves the engine running, Walks out the bus, leaves the doors open, gone for a good 20 minutes, maybe 30, gets back on the bus and is so incapacitated and slumped over that some of the kids called 911. The dude was having a drug overdose. Medic had to come and check uh, the bus driver and like... Take his happy rear end to the hospital. Well, apparently charges were filed about like for like child, like I think it's nine counts of like child abuse or endangerment of a child, like all this or, you know, 
kidnapping, like in the in that vicinity, right? Like in that realm, because of the children that were on the board of the bus. Thankfully, he didn't try to drive, but he was so incapacitated and jacked up, he couldn't drive. So, Nick Oxer and I were at the press conference today. And by the way, Tommy, what do I always say about other media? They make it so easy. You know who was there today? Me, Nick Oxner, uh, WFAE, and one TV station, WCCB, with a cameraman. Not a reporter. Two TV stations and two radio stations. That's it. By the way, there's six TV stations in Charlotte and a newspaper and a couple of big-time websites. Just throwing that out there. So... Afterwards, we get ready. They do this little song and dance. And now it comes time to get ready to ask the superintendent questions. But the, uh, it didn't go quite as well as, it didn't go quite as well as they had anticipated. Or as a matter of fact, as anyone anticipated, because what was supposed to be a press conference was not a press conference. But guess what? Nick Oxner was definitely going to make it a press conference. And I was all there for it. I was I was all in. So when we come back, you're going to hear the exchange that happened amongst Nick Oxner and the superintendent about that bus driver. Even though, again, this happened like a few weeks ago, like two months ago. But, like, all this is, like, coming out or whatever. And so he, I think that, I think, somebody told me the toxicology reports came out. So, but I don't know if that's true, but someone told me that. So, anyways, when we come back, you're going to hear the exchange between Nick and uh, the superintendent, Dr. Krista Hill. And it is all unfiltered, I should say. Welcome back to Breaking with Brett Jensen. Brett Jensen here going up until 8 o'clock. All right, so where we left off was the CMS thing. So CMS has a press conference that's no longer a press conference. There's only four media outlets there, two radio stations and two TV stations. And media, you make it so easy to beat you relentlessly on all these stories. But I've, I've been down that road a million times. Okay, so... This is the entire press conference. Now, what I will tell you is there's a couple of things that I took out that are about five seconds each. 20, 10, one's about 10 seconds. One's about five seconds. The reason I took it out, it's because people were trying to talk when the school bell went off. And so it's just the alarm. So I just took the sound of the alarm out. But everything else is as it happened with the press conference. And with Nick Oxner, myself, and Dr. Crystal Hill, the superintendent. Thank you so much for being here today. We are so excited to have the opportunity to have our Deputy Secretary Martin here with us. 
It's been an amazing day visiting um, three different schools and just excited to conclude our visit here at Matthews um, Elementary. Um, Deputy Secretary Martin as a long-term, long-time educator. Um, she taught in the classroom for several years, um, was a principal for many years as well as a superintendent before being tapped to go um, to the U.S. Department of Education. So it's just been absolutely fantastic to have you here. We're just um, incredibly grateful for your vision and your work. And without further ado, we'll let you give some comments. Thank you so much, Superintendent. It's really great to be here in North Carolina, specifically at Charlotte Mecklenburg, to go to three schools today. It's so great to be at a school, especially when the announcements come on. <laughs> I was able to see three schools here today. And um, on behalf of Secretary of Education, Dr. Miguel Cardona, and the entire Biden-Harris administration, we're going around the country seeing what it looks like to invest the Federal American Rescue Plan dollars, the ARP ESSER dollars, as we call them, to have our students get what they need, when they need it, in the way that they need it for academic recovery, great learning conditions, and being globally competitive. We call it raising the bar. And what I got to see here today in three specific examples of how we're raising the bar, how Charlotte Mecklenburg is investing in students, giving them what they need in terms of learning and academic recovery, being able to be in classrooms today to look at academic acceleration, seeing teachers teaching, looking at the after school and high dosage tutoring programs that are in place, this is what it looks like to raise the bar, and this is how you give students a chance to not just recover from the pandemic, but to thrive and to succeed and to excel. It was great to lift up the programs, and of course, if I get to go into a third grade classroom and read a story to kids, it's always gonna be a great day. I was able to do that, and then I got to interview some kids about their literacy and their math and the work that they're doing, and the principals highlighted for me the academic recovery with real numbers and data that they're using to help drive the decision-making. So, way to go, Charlotte. This is the way to raise the bar. We're really happy to be here and lift up the great programs in this district. All right, and at this time, I'd like to go ahead and introduce um, the principal of Matthews Elementary School, Miss um, uh, Penny Beth Crisp. Good afternoon. We're so thankful that we have these um, esteemed guests here today. We're so thankful at Matthews to have an amazing community to work in. We would like to thank the voters for voting for the bond package as we are going to get a new school as a result of that. We are so proud of the work we're doing here at Matthews and of the community that supports us. We have a ton of community partners, including church partners and our um, political partners that um, support us each day. And so thank you so much to all of you that are here today to support us in our visit. And thank you for visiting. And Dr. Hill, thank you for being here. We're so glad you were here today. Thank you. Are we t I thought this was a press conference. Are we we're taking questions? We're, or we're going not to both sides, but we have to do one tour stop, and then I will try to find you all after that. Here? Here. Okay. In this room? In this room. Thank you. Do is Dr. Hill going to take questions later, too? or? No. Oh, do do Dr. Hill. Dr. Hill. What? Why do, do you have armed men blocking me from asking you? Sir, don't no, not. Mr. Oshner, if you made an appointment to have a conversation about student safety, I believe that there was a press uh, release that was released by Deputy Secretary in her office, and we detailed what today was about. It was not about school safety. Dr. Hill, this is a press am, conference for members a, of the media. I want to ask you about a school bus driver who's now charged with child abuse because he went off his bus route with nine students on board, left the engine running, left the door open, and your school district didn't tell the public about it. Why did you cover it up? The superintendent has to leave. To to the board uh, this is a question of student safety. Parents tell me that their students aren't safe in school. Let me speak to you. 
okay? I have an obligation to keep all students in Charlotte-Mecklenburg School safe. I took an oath to do that. I will continue to do that. There is absolutely no reason for me to communicate because you know and I know that it is against the law to communicate about personnel issues. It's actually not if he was when terminated. Students, when students are in any danger, we communicate with parents. I am not having this conversation with you right now because you were well informed about the purpose of today. I have a board meeting to get to. And I hope you have a wonderful yeah, day. Dr. Thank Hill, the you. state personnel law actually says you can talk about disciplinary action taken. And separately, we're talking about criminal charges. So, Dr. Hill, why didn't CMS alert the public that a school bus driver left nine students on a school bus with the door running? Sir, why are you blocking me? This is a public, this is a public facility. And what's your name? Sir? Yeah, excuse gonna, me, I I'm need gonna, to I'm get gonna, out. Thank you very much. Come on. So, yeah, you had a guard trying to block an exit door, and that's where I just sort of, like, busted my way through. I was like, yeah, excuse me, I got to get out. And then I got out. I was like, Nick, you want to come out? And then he stayed in, and then I just walked back inside. Um, but it was interesting. Nick's not wrong on a lot of things. You are – here's the one thing I always say. You can if, – if you're a public official – you, can, you heard Dr. Hill say, well, we can't talk about personnel issues. And then Nick Oxner immediately corrected her. Immediately corrected her. Yes, you can if the person's been fired and we're talking about police charges. Yes, you can. If you fired them, you can talk. Immediately corrected her. Like the one person you do not argue with about stuff like that and rules and regulations, it's Nick Oxner. He has them all recited to memory. So it was a uh, it was a pretty poor showing. It, it was a it wasn't a good look. I understand what Dr. Hill was trying to do, but it wasn't a good look on her part. It was like she tried to run away, and it wasn't a good look. And then these two guys got in that were both packing heat, tried to get in between uh, Nick and Dr. Hill. That made it even worse, and. Then she sat there and she did answer Nick, and then she walked away. And look, I'm sure that was the last thing that she wanted to happen in front of uh, that visitor from Washington, D.C. But speaking of the Washington visitor, so she comes down and she's going to the three schools today. And she wanted to see, you know, what's going on with, you know, after school programs. It's all about after school programs because. Like CMS said, one of the like like a lot of the schools districts in the country, to be fair, but CMS was extremely poor in their post-COVID test scores for reading and math and all that stuff. So the deputy secretary of education, uh, Cindy Martin, was in town, and somehow out of four people there, I was the only one to get an interview with her. And here's how that interview went: the after-school tutoring program. 95 schools here in CMS had it um, out of 180. Mm -hmm. This particular district was really hit hard with the grades after COVID because so many kids stayed out. What are you seeing nationally and how CMS relates to that? Well, it's really important that kids are given a chance to catch up, and we know that they need additional time and attention. That's why President Biden in his State of the Union address called for 
more adults, not less, to help our schools. That's our National Partnership for Student Success, where President Biden asked for 250,000 more adults coming to help in schools through this partnership model. And we're seeing an exact example of that here, where teachers are doing everything they can during the six and a half hours a day that they have them in school teaching students what they need, but they need more. They need double dosing. They need extra instruction. They need high dosage tutoring and extra time with an adult who knows how to teach them. So I'm seeing examples of that here. And before, if it was in 10 schools, it needs to be in 50 schools. And so how do you expand that? And the only way you can do that is to lean in on community partners. So one of the things we're featuring in the visit here is academic recovery happens when you have a whole of community approach. So you have community partners leveraging their relationship with the district, the district leveraging the American Rescue Plan funding to figure out how to improve instruction in the classroom and then bring in the partners to help support what's happening in the classroom. Great examples of that here. I love seeing kids after school, three more hours. These kids that I just, the classroom I just went into next door, school ended at three o'clock. They're going to be here for three more hours till six o'clock getting extra tutoring and enrichment. That's how you catch kids up. That's how you get kids on track if they're off track. The federal funding, is there a, the COVID money, the SR, that's, you know, about to run out and everything. So what can the federal government do? How much can they help support this or keep this afloat? Well, what we're seeing is districts like Charlotte-Mecklenburg have leveraged the dollars to put these programs in place. And then the community has now stepped in and said, we need more of that. State funding has come in. Community-level partnerships have happened. So what we're seeing is these have always been meant to be stimulus dollars that would stimulate great programs that have been built. Once these have been built, you can leverage continuing dollars so that they can continue well into the future. And we're seeing solid examples across the country how school districts are doing that. I guess the last question for you real quick is, have you guys seen the actual results and the benefits of all this? Or other than just going, we think it's going to happen, but it actually is occurring? That's the reason I'm here. I'm actually seeing measurable results. You can wait for state testing and the long-term assessments. Those take a while to come in. But the shorter-term assessments, the classroom assessments teachers are using that are closest to the student, you're starting to see those leading indicators that will result in the lagging indicators, the big state tests. And the, the school that I stopped at today, the principal started with, this is what our data looks like. We show this percentage increase in our reading and our math scores because of the additional tutoring that we're having and the professional development that the teachers got. So we're looking for examples where you're already seeing measurable results that are going to lead to the long-term recovery. So that is U.S. Deputy Secretary of Education. There's a title for you. Uh, Cindy Martin, M-A-R-T-E-N. Only one in Charlotte to get that. The only media person to get that. All right. So when we come back, my exclusive one-on-one interview with Mark Walker on why he is now running for governor, or excuse me, running for Congress as opposed to uh, governor. And also have some exclusive news, breaking news from Scott Hamilton over there in Indian Trail. And we'll talk about that when we return as well. I'm Brett Jensen, and you're listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. 
So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Welcome back to Breaking with Brett Jensen. All right, so on Friday, I had a chance to sit down with Mark Walker. He's a former congressman who was going to run for governor, decided to then run for Congress once again up in District 6 in the Concord area and going that way towards Albemarle. I believe um, Anson County, I think that's the name of the county. I could be wrong. I'm probably wrong. Nonetheless, here is my one-on-one interview with Mark Walker. The congressional maps, I had heard way before when the maps came out that they were going to be like, hey, this is right up Mark Walker's alley, this congressional race. What was that ultimate decision between staying in governor and running for Congress? Was it the fact that there was just maybe too much ground to make up in the governor's race? No, that's a fair question. I, I think instinctively, most of our adult life, we've been in a position of service. Uh, we served as a pastor for nearly two decades there in the triad area and literally merged from there to serving in the U.S. House. So our first instinct is just to say, where's the best place that we can give back that we can serve? Uh, I was in D.C. literally about a week before I made this decision, and I was walking through the cannon building over the tunnel. And, and as a former member, if you never read your lobbyist, you can go up there, sit in, the, sit in the chambers, go to the different speakers, whatever it might be. And I just felt like, man, I would really love to be the governor of North Carolina. I feel like I've got the background, the experience, and somebody who would be a strong general election candidate. But the more I thought about it, I thought about ground zero of the battle that we're facing in this country right now is really Washington, D.C. And with the state legislature continuing to pass laws that really pull more authority from the executive branch here in, in North Carolina, uh, a process that I'm not pretending that there was an easier, very clear path to being the next governor. It was going to be a challenge, but we would have to go to a nuclear option, and I just didn't have peace about that. Plus, there were 40 members of Congress, including the Speaker of the House, uh, Dan Crenshaw, uh, other conservatives there that said, look, we need you back. I'm one of the few members that have met with Benjamin Netanyahu at the Knesset in Jerusalem. I've met with the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank, and they said, look, with everything going on, you know, come on back. And so we prayed about it in process and just had a certain peace, still do. doesn't take away the heart's desire of what I felt like I could bring to the entire state. But if this is where we feel like the path is best for us to serve, then, then we go full speed with it. A new challenger just entered your particular race. Uh, last time he ran, he got the endorsement of Donald Trump. Don't know if he'll get it this time again. But when you heard that the new person was entering the race, what were your thoughts? Um, I was not surprised uh, because I believe uh, Bo has run in five different districts in the last two years. Um, he lost to a very beatable Democrat uh, the last time he ran. Uh, as we speak, he is actually registered in Fuquay, Verena. I think his dad bought him a house in Union County where he lives, and he wants to jump 100 miles north into a place where we've pastored in two different counties, Guilford and Forsyth, Greensboro, Winston-Salem areas. So I'm not going to be brash about it, but I, I just think that, you know, if you're 28 years old and you've never had a job, and you've never even had the experience of leading or working or serving people, which is crucial in public service. Um, I'm just surprised that you would count on your dad to try to buy you a congressional seat. I don't think it's going to work, and I think he's in danger of really forfeiting any opportunity to serve in the political arena as he looks so much like an opportunist at this point. 
I want to jump real back, real quick, back to the governor's race, sure. real quick. Now you can handicap it from the outside looking in. Yeah. What are your thoughts about that? Is is Mark Robinson going to win this? I know Bill Graham's gotten in. Bill Falwell, yeah. I just asked him. He said he's definitely staying in because you can't win if you don't run. Right. So what are your thoughts now looking at that three-horse race? Well, it was interesting because I had met with the Republican Governors Association uh, uh, multiple times, uh, Brian Kemp in Georgia, uh, Kim Reynolds in Iowa, and the whole goal was to get this to a two-man race. And and Dale, Dale's got a great record of what he's done as treasurer, but he is as stubborn as anybody else. So he, it was just going to be tough to make it that way. As far as the remaining, because I think, as you mentioned, Jesse Thomas now running as Secretary of State, I still think it's uh, I think it's still um, I still think Mark is the front runner. Uh, he's been traveling nearly for three years, uh, running for governor, and and I think he's got a lot of grassroots support. Um, you know, it's interesting, and we've talked about this before, North Carolina has selected only one Republican in now 32 years. So it'll be interesting because Republicans only make up 30% of the registered voters. The question is, can Mr. Robinson pull some unaffiliated enough to beat Josh Stein? Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you want to talk about? Because I always like to end every interview that way. Is there anything that you'd like to say or anything that I didn't ask you about that you want to talk about? I just think uh, when people look at uh, the congressional races, we've got a very slim margin in Congress right now. And what we're seeing in New York is they may redistrict it and take out three, maybe four Republicans. And that's why these three open seats, maybe four in North Carolina, I said pickup seats, I should call them, are so important uh, in running against Kathy Manning myself and some of the other places. This could be the difference of my friend Speaker Johnson being the speaker or having Hakeem Jeffries as the speaker. So I just want people to pay attention to these to these congressional races throughout the state. So that's my interview with Mark Walker that took place last week, Friday. And uh, just some very interesting stuff. North Carolina politics, never a dull moment, whether it's local stuff going on in Waxhaw or Weddington or Huntersville, or Charlotte, or Raleigh, or whatever. North Carolina politics never, ever disappoints. All right, everyone, that's going to do it for me tonight. I really appreciate it. And again, thanks to uh, former Congressman Mark Walker, who's running for Congress again, as well as everyone else who joined the show today. Look forward to talking to you guys again tomorrow. I'm Brett Jensen, and you've been listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. WBT Charlotte, WBT-FM, Chester, WLNKH. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.